everyone, and welcome to the Las Musas podcast. My name is Aisha Perez Prado, and I'm the author and illustrator of City Feet. Today, I am joined by Monica Macias and Alisa Reynoso Morris. And today, in this episode of Debut Diaries, the picture book edition, we'll be talking all about inspiration what inspires us, what we do with our inspiration, how we manage it, and all that fun stuff. So why don't we start uh, with Alyssa? Can you start us off by introducing yourself, telling us something about your book and what inspired your latest creation? Sure. Thank you so much. So Alyssa, my first book actually just came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, it is entitled Platanos Are Love, and it is illustrated by the prolific and amazing Maria Rachman. It is a delicious picture book about all of the ways Platanos shape Latinx culture, community, and family, um, told through a young girl's experience in the kitchen with her abuela. And um, it was really inspired by cooking with my abuela as a little girl and wanting to um, kind of like immortalize that memory. <laughs> So, so your inspiration comes from personal experience when you were a child. Yes, yes. yes. So that's, and later on, you have to tell us about the book you wrote when you were little, because I saw that and that was amazing. And what about you, Monica? What inspires you? And tell us about your book coming out. Yeah, so my name is Monica Mancillas. Um, my debut picture book came out last October entitled Mariana and Her Familia. And that was inspired by my own experience as a child. Uh, it's about a little girl who travels to Ensenada to visit her family and feels, you know, she feels very isolated and shy at first because of the language barrier and the cultural barrier. Um, and just her slow discovery that even though she doesn't feel like it, she is and has always been part of the family. Um, so that was inspired by my personal experience. I have two uh, picture books coming out this summer. The first is The Worry Balloon, which comes out on July 11th. And it's about a little girl facing anxiety on her first day of school and just sort of bombarded by all the what ifs and how she manages to get through those. And uh, the book has some extensive back matter with tools um, for children to use breathing exercises and yoga techniques and mindfulness and that sort of thing. And that was inspired by um, watching what my daughter was going through in transitioning back to school after the pandemic and um, the separation anxiety that she was facing and just the kind of epidemic of anxiety that children are facing these days um, combined with my own personal experiences as an adult with anxiety. Um, and I have another picture book coming out uh, on August 22nd called How to Speak in Spanglish, which is about a little boy who loves to speak in Spanglish and his parents speak in Spanglish, but he has a very traditional abuela who um, really feels strongly that he should speak Spanish at home and English at school um, and sort of how he winds up um, have, getting her to eventually adapt and um, uh, and that was inspired by, again, my own struggles with speaking Spanish and English and accidentally speaking my own versions of Spanglish when I was a kid. Okay, that's awesome. And um, that's so interesting with the Spanglish. I have a lot to say about that as a linguistics, sociolinguistics person and a person who 
who studies language and um, bilingualism. And I've I've been talking to different authors about that actually at this conference that I was just at that I'll talk about a little bit later. But um, in terms of me, like for at least for my debut book, City Feet, um, I was not inspired. Well, maybe I should rewind. I was going to say that it was not inspired by any of my own personal experiences or childhood. It was inspired by writing contests that I wanted to be published. I think that can also be inspire you. But in actuality, if I really dive into it, it's about like walking through different cities in the world. And I did, since I'm the illustrator too, um, and it's collage. I used maps from all the cities I've lived in and um, visited cities that are important to me. Um, so that I, I guess it is inspired also by my own personal experiences and being a city girl and a, being a person who's lived in different countries and different cities my whole life. Um, that obviously has has something to do with what inspired me for that that story as well so that's interesting i hadn't thought of it that way before but now we talked a little bit about what inspires you let's talk a little bit also about like who inspires you okay so um i i heard in both of your stories that there's quite a bit of family connection so i imagine probably besides your own self as a child inspired by your own experiences probably also your family but maybe there's somebody else some writers or artists or other people who inspire you anybody have somebody that comes to mind I actually want to kind of go back to the last question and mention that like depending upon like those writing contests I think they could be really great sources of inspiration and you can give the same group of like 10 people the like a different group and give them the same prompt and they will all come out with something entirely different like yeah. as someone that has also like traveled a lot that does seep into my writing and I, I think it's so cool that you have that ex those experiences to draw from um, because even if you literally tell the same people write a book about travel or write a book about New York City or write a book about whatever like they're all going to come out with something different because it's written from their lens and their perspective so I, I think that's really cool and I'm glad that that's how you do so it. true there's probably as many stories about New York City as people who live in New York City right exactly so sorry to <laughs> run it back to that but I just I think those contests are, are really yeah. really great and for people that are looking at them and considering like trying them out definitely like it's a good way to exercise that muscle absolutely so tell us about who inspires you I don't know for Platanos our love or for other writing is there someone who comes to mind as an inspiration oh yeah definitely my family um like you like the places that I've been my second book that's coming out this October is called the Bronx is my home and it's it's a love letter to the Bronx growing up um there weren't really any positive depictions of the Bronx even though it's like a really cool place oftentimes like the media would only like highlight the negative stuff um so I really wanted to like highlight the history and the landscapes and cuisines and the cultures and like the fun things that you can do in the Bronx from a child's perspective um and then my third book 
called Gloriana Presente that comes out next year. It's a first day of school book, but it's really like an intergenerational story that mirrors the abuela's immigration experience and finding her voice with Gloriana's, the main character's experience, finding her voice in school. So definitely like from my own personal experiences, my experiences of like the experiences of my family members, um, and then the fun places that I've been all influence the work that like my writing for sure. And other authors, like when I first started off, I was like, I have one idea. And then I was like scared because I was just like, okay, I don't want to be like a one trick pony, right? Like you, and I was just like, all right. And then I started reading more and you do more research and you see like what other people are writing. And um, then you challenge yourself of like, "Mm, how would I put my own spin on this kind of thing? Um, And so a lot of reading is a great source of inspiration for me. Definitely. For me as an illustrator as well, like looking at other illustrators and what they do, um, that's very inspiring. For me, like, uh, do you guys know who Juana Martinez Neal is? She's the Peruvian illustrator, yeah, of Alman, how she got her name and Swashby in the Sea. I just love her stuff. And sometimes when I can't think of anything to do for myself, I just look through her books and like copy. You know, I do like my own version. I do my own fan art of her characters and I put it, I put it up as fan art. And uh, and also um, Juji Morales. Do you guys know her? The, yeah, another um, Latine illustrator that I find really inspiring the colors that she uses and all of that that really helps me sort of get out of when I don't know what to do and um, just try different things how about you Monica a person inspiring to you yeah well I think that I think of my job as an author uh I think my job is to speak to the needs of and experiences of children um, who are living today and what they're facing and dealing with. And so um, when I'm writing, I will, you know, uh, like, for instance, right now I'm working on two different novels and one of them I'm almost done with the first draft and the second one. Um, I'm in the process, it's, I'm under contract for a two book deal. And so I'm in the process right now of pitching different ideas to my editor. So, um, I've just been in between writing this other novel, just racking my brain day and night. Um, so this question of inspiration is extremely poignant to me right now. Um, so what I do is I, I, is I, you know, I have a school age child, she's 10 years old. And so when, uh, you know, when she was little is when I started writing picture books. So I was definitely inspired by what I saw going on in her life, what I saw going on in the lives of the other children at her school. Um, and right now it's the same. I will kind of think about well, what, what is she going through right now? When she comes home from school, what is she dealing with? The, the my debut middle grade that I have coming out next year, Sing It Like Celia is largely based on my sister's experience because she's 13 years old. So again, middle grade aged. Um, It was inspired by her experience. And then I also mind my own childhood, you know, because I feel like I have to put some of myself into every character for it to be truly relatable because otherwise I don't, how can I understand what this, what this child is feeling if I don't relate back to my own childhood or even my experiences as an adult. So oftentimes it's sort of a combination of, of 
you know, more than one person um, and my myself always included. Um, so that book has a lot of my own experiences, you know, as a child dealing with um, parents who were divorced and, um, you know, uh, the loss of a parent in your life. Um, so, yeah, I, I think of all of those things. And then I also um, lean on what the world as a whole is going through. So a lot of the ideas that I'm tossing around right now have to do with what's going on in contemporary society. What are we all struggling with right now? Um, so yeah, combination of all of those things. Yeah, I think totally that all of us have all those experiences in childhood that we kind of forget about. And then when we're trying to write and we're thinking back, I've I've had so many um, positive experiences in workshops, you know, when um, whoever's leading the workshop is like, think back to, you know, something you were really embarrassed about that happened to you or, you know, something that was so funny and whatever it happens to be. And you once you start thinking, you remember a, a bunch of stuff that you had forgotten about. And I've always been a liar. You know, I, I am... <laughs> I'm not a good liar, like face to face, but I was always a liar uh, as in a storyteller when I was a kid, because I did not, I think I didn't, I wasn't happy with my real circumstances, you know? So for example, I used to invent siblings. I didn't have any siblings until I was nine years old when my mother um, had another baby with my stepfather. Um, and I used to just pretend I had siblings because I really wanted siblings, you know, and you should have seen the backstories that these siblings had. They, there were so many of them, you know, and they, and I had a, a lot going on with these siblings and I used to draw them and draw like family trees. And um, it was all a lie. You're uh, just reminding me of. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I had forgotten until you said this, that when I was in first grade, I told my classmates that my dad was boy George. I have no idea why, other than the fact that my dad's name was Jorge. I know well, you know. What if this is a small leap to boy George? I wait a minute. I told I don't remember who. I don't know if I actually believed it. My father dropped me off in the States without saying goodbye and left to live to left me to leave with my mother to live with my mother who I hadn't seen in a year like I didn't remember my mother because she left when when I was little from Argentina and I don't know if I really believed this or I just told the story that he had been eaten by sharks that's why he didn't come back you know I think maybe I thought the only way he wouldn't come back for me is if he were in fact eaten by sharks. Right. And that's much more interesting than they just got divorced and he decided it was too painful to say goodbye. So he left. Um, he must have been eaten by a shark, and that's a better story, you know. And so that got that story got bigger and bigger. And I can actually I feel like I can see him being surrounded by sharks. And he wasn't even going on a boat, you know. So I don't know. Um, no, I but yeah, I empathize with that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Like my my, I grew up with my mom, single mom, and the only thing I knew about my biological father is that he was like in the military. So like I made up these stories in my mind that the only like the reason he's not in my life is because he's like out there like being like a superhero, like oh you know what I mean. And 
I think those are the things that we make up to like explain the unexplainable. I think that, I mean, all of these um, maybe traumatic events that we've had in our childhood, um, when we can sort of weave them into a story and, and have the child who was who we were figure it out you know and deal with it and overcome it that's powerful I think you know so I think that we're all inspired by our little selves and and wanting to just reach back and give that person power maybe that that person didn't have at the time all my power came from these stories which were it was another way of saying lying you know um which eventually you know gets found out usually and then that's that's also (laughs) another level of of trauma but I was going to talk about in terms of who is inspiring me besides my own family of course my own experiences um this weekend I was at um or these past few days at Texas Library Association conference which is such a amazing conference where they give away tons of books um and I didn't know how these conferences work before and when they uh, my publisher invited me to uh, go sign books I was thinking who's gonna buy my book at the Texas Library Association because they don't know me you know like how many books am I gonna sign three I signed about I don't know hundreds I don't know how many I signed because they give them away And I didn't realize that like the librarians come and they leave with, you know, a hundred books. I don't know how many books they get. They leave with a bunch of books that publishers are giving away or selling for like $2, very cheap. And so I had librarian after librarian, school librarians and public librarians coming and asking me about my book, getting a book and always thanking me. You know, they were like, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. We're so excited that you're here. And let me tell you, in the conferences I normally go to as a university professor, nobody's that excited to see me, number one. Certainly nobody wants my signature on any of the academic books I ever wrote. And um, nobody's as sparkly and friendly and just happy, it seemed, as these librarians. And even in this age of, you know, librarians having a hard time, I think, especially in Texas, and I'm in Florida, you know, so we have quite a lot going on. um, They were so positive and so supportive that I felt like, oh, my God, I need to write another book that my publisher will invite me back to the Texas Library Association conference because it's really amazing plus I got to like stare at all these famous people that I know from the kidlit world you know like you know people that that we read about or that inspire us as authors that were there signing um their book so that that was really interesting too not only that but I got to work at the Las Musas uh, Latinx book festival table for a little while so that that was fun too but yeah, have you guys been to conferences like that that have really sort of like motivated you? Have you had that experience yet? Uh, I I I was on a panel at the NCTE conference um, in last last fall, 
but my publisher didn't pay for me to be there, nor did they have my book there. So I didn't have the same experience, unfortunately, but um, I did enjoy, I was on a panel with other Musas and it was fantastic meeting them and speaking with them and meeting educators who were, you know, eagerly taking notes and actually listening to what we were saying. Yeah, it's always really uh, inspiring when people listen to you. I have like six kids, so I know what it's like not to be listened to, not to mention my students. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, so what? another thing I wanted to ask was like, how do you turn your inspiration? Because this happens to me a lot. I'm really inspired. Like I have so many stories that... Um, from my own experiences as a child or that I'm inspired to, but how do you turn it into something that's marketable? You know what I mean? Like I have, I feel like I have a lot of stories that I think are my best stories, but they're not selling, right? Other things that I've written have sold, but those aren't the ones that really inspire me. So I wonder, like, I feel like you guys, you two in particular, have written these books that are really like meaningful, I think, and important for the child in you and for children today, representing your sort of cultural experiences and your identity. And you are able to turn those into something that somebody wanted to buy. So what's your secret? Alyssa. Alyssa, tell us first about, about how you started writing your book at the age of seven. Tell us about that, because maybe that's your secret. <laughs> so um, so when I was seven, I actually wrote my first book and it's called A Good Writer. Um, and in it, it's eerie to read parts of it now as like an adult, just to see like how like seven-year-old Alyssa was like manifesting all these things as like now as an adult. And so I write, someday I will be a writer. I love to make books. When I make books, I feel like I can go to different places. And then I write more about how when I write, I have the power to do whatever I want. Writing is like magic. When I write books, I feel proud of myself. And... I just love that you have that. I can't believe um, you have that. And it's a, it's it's like you you created the person you are today when you were seven years old. You made it happen. That's amazing. It is crazy for sure. Like I'm glad my mom kept it all this time because I didn't even realize we had it until like years ago, maybe like. 10 years ago at this point but she had brought all of my old diaries and journals and like my all of my stuff and she's like okay you have a house now here I can get all I can unload all of your like your junk onto you and so I was like going through all my old stuff and then I found it and I was like okay I need to put this somewhere safe that I'll remember where it is and I'm glad and now I keep it like right next to my desk at all times you know um but in terms of like creating marketable ideas I think a lot of what I what I do is like when I have an idea, I write it down. I might even like do a rough draft of it. And then I like kind of pump the brakes on it. And then I do some market research and I 
see like who else is writing about similar ish topics and how did they pitch it so I'll use my first book Platanos Are Love as an example I had read books by like Fry Bread um Freedom Soup um and like other like food related books and I noticed that all of them had like another hook to them right like it wasn't just writing about the food itself and I was like I can do that I I can yeah I can make that work but then also like making sure that what you're writing about hasn't been done that it's an original topic and I knew that I could do that with the topic of platanos because at the time in 2018 when I started writing platanos are love there were zero books about platanos zero about a food that is literally eaten all over the Caribbean and Latin America and Africa. You know, there's a lot of books about mashed potatoes and there's a lot of books about soup, but there were zero books about platanos. So I was like, okay, I know I can make the argument that there is a demand for books about food because hundreds of books about food have been published already. So like showing like, look, there is a market for it because these books have sold very well and are award-winning books. But my book is a little different because it's about a topic that hasn't been written before. So like, it's like finding, walking that like fine line between showing like, hey, there is a market for first day of school books, which is my book that's coming out next year. People like reading about first day of school books because kids are struggling with first day of school anxieties and so I know that there's a market for it but how am I going to make mine different because there are a lot of first day of school books out there so I read a ton of first day of school books and you know along with my editor like we made sure that it was different from the other books that are out there and the way that I was able to make it different is by showing that like kind of those that mirror of the main characters struggle to find her voice in school and her grandmother's struggle to find her voice as an immigrant. So like that parallel story there um, is how I was able to show like, eso diferente, it's different, you know? Um, so I think a lot of it comes down to my background. I'm a researcher at heart. So it's like doing that market research is really important. And then working alongside your agent to really help you like craft a solid pitch and then going on sub and doing the whole like process um but before I write anything and like I commit to like sending it to my critique groups and all that stuff like I always do market research and see like is this something that is marketable that's so interesting because that has never literally crossed my mind (laughs) like I don't even think about that you know I just think it's a good story you know, like, does it sound good? I care about the way the language sounds. I'm very in tune to like rhythm and that and that kind of stuff in language. I I think, is it funny? Does it have a good opener, a good closer? But it doesn't, which explains a lot about what I've sold probably. It doesn't occur to me to like do market research. Um, I don't even know how I would start to do that. Um, would you like use Edelweiss advice or something? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I also asked my librarians for help. You know, like oh, there is, yeah. I'm working on a couple other manuscripts. Um, 
and one of them is about being outdoors it's inspired by my partner and my daughter because they're always outside and they're just the cutest thing ever so um I asked my librarian like give me can you please give me all of the books that have to do with like nature and like being outside and going to the park and you know like camping all of it and then I read like 50 books related to that and that's how I did my market research um but the everything that you mentioned on like is it does it sound good does the rhythm and all that stuff that's all super super important to write a good book so in in your process just add like reading about other books and reading how like they market their books like reading their their blurbs like that really helps me like how do they describe the book on like their jacket cover because that's how the book is being pitched usually yeah that's great advice that's great advice what about you monica i'm sorry i keep pronouncing your name monica instead of monica and i'm not sure oh it's monica yeah is it are you prefer Uh whatever I mean, what I'm not offended either way, but yeah, but I go by Monica. Um, Yeah, so I do a little bit of that. Um, You know, if especially if, for example, I was I was mentioning that I've been trying to come up with pitches and I came up, you know, I've been I've been um, I have an amazing Slack group with my agent siblings and we talk about everything. And so I've been running them these pitches past them. And there was one that I was so excited about and they were like, eh it doesn't seem fresh. I feel like this has been done before. So I immediately went to Google, did a search on this, you know, this particular subject came up with some and I was like, well, yeah, I see some in this vein, but I think maybe mine can be set apart this way. So I will sometimes go, okay, is this a fresh enough idea? Um, or, or if I'm just stuck on coming up with a pitch, I might, um, as Alyssa said, I might go and I just go to Amazon and read the synopsis. What is this about? Um, I might take a look at the first few pages to get a sense of the voice in this particular book and what people are doing right now. That said, um, I don't get too hung up on marketability and saleability because I am already signed to an agent and I have and I have editors. And so I rely on the gatekeepers for that. The gatekeepers are going to say, yeah, this is you know these kinds of stories are overdone these kinds of stories are not selling right now they're they're going to weed those out for me so i am more focused on as you said story and coming up with something that i can put my whole heart and soul into because i think i think you you know while it's good to be aware of trends um you know and what's fresh and what what children are interested in right now and editors are interested in right now um our books don't come out for a couple of years so as you said Alyssa nobody was writing Platanos books how how would you know what was going to happen in two years you could not have possibly predicted that Lizette was also working on a book about Platanos for example right um so uh the second book my agent and I sent out on submission after Mariana was a book called Melody Makes Music. And I thought it was the cutest little idea. It was, you know, it was a book about a little girl who was really into making music. Like my little girl was just constantly, you know, banging her hands on everything was a drum and, you know, and everything became musical. And I'm a musician, so it spoke to me. Um, And every single editor 
said, we really like the story and I'd like to see more from her, but books about music don't sell in children's market. Is that always true? Will that eternally be true? Probably not. But at that particular moment, how would I know that until the gatekeepers made me aware of that? So um, I just think, yes, it's good to be aware of, of what's going on and it can help you come up with ideas and hone your ideas. But, you know, for example, if you're writing very in, in a Victorian voice, because that's what you love to read, that may not be saleable, you know, because that's not the, that's not what kids are into right now. That's not the, the voice that they're into. Um, but you have to just craft that story that you're going to be passionate about that is uniquely you somehow, even if other people are writing about platanos, they're not writing your story from your perspective and let the gatekeepers tell you whether or not it's saleable. You have other stories in you. Yeah, I don't like the gatekeepers as much as you do. I don't know. I'm very frustrated, actually, by the gatekeepers. And one of my major frustrations, I don't know if either one of you have run into this, but it's actually the Latinx gatekeepers that frustrate me the most because um, I, I have had stories sent to an editor that I think, oh, this editor, I think might like the story and they pass it to the Latinx editor at their imprint because I guess the only that editor sees Latinx stories you know because I guess they think they're more qualified or something to read it and consider whether it's authentic or whatever and those particular there's not that many of them first of all there's a handful and um, I don't feel like um, most of them align with my experiences as a, a Latinx person or, or maybe are about the kinds of stories I want to tell or the kind of um, illustrations that I want to do that they don't happen to be an editor I would have maybe chosen, you know, because I don't think what they um, have bought and what they have sold is something that I would have written or is something that I would want to read. It's this other editor I was interested in. And so I find that super frustrating. I don't know if 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 it's just me having these experiences or or other like Latinx and I imagine black and um, Asian creators, but you know, if you're Asian, maybe your story goes to the whoever is in charge of Asian creators stories you know I don't know have, have have either of you had any experiences like that or is is it just me in the I wild I don't think I've had that particular experience of being passed only to Latine editors I think um that definitely BIPOC editors tend to tend to see my stories more not, they're not all BIPOC um, but, you know, Mariana sold at auction and I, and I can say that, you know, so many of the editors that were interested, um, did come from marginalized backgrounds. And they said to me for Tierra Cattrall was the editor at Balzer and Bray who, um, acquired Mariana and she's not Latina, but she said, oh, you know, I had a very similar story, you know, a very similar upbringing. And this really resonated. And a lot of people said, 
that it really resonated with them, even if they weren't, you know, they were because they were from different immigrant backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think there needs to be when you're thinking about saleability and marketability, there needs to be something that's uniquely you, but also universal, something that 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 speaks to the larger audience, you know, how to speak in Spanglish is about a kid who speaks Spanglish, but it's also appeals to that larger demographic of kids who speak other languages at home. They speak Taglish, they speak Hindish, they, you know, that, um, and, and they understand, they get it because they do a lot of code switching. Um, so that, that's been my experience is that the marginalized editors tend to be the ones who are more interested or who they're passed along to, but not always. Yeah, I don't do great with rejection, which is ironic because this industry is riddled with it. The part of the reason I do so much market research at the beginning is to mentally prepare for the kinds of responses that I will get from an editor. And also because I have so many ideas, it helps me prioritize which story I should work on next, right? So it's like, when I'm doing my research, I I literally have like 10 stories that I want to write at the same time, but I'm like, but which one should I do first? So like, sometimes my market research helps me like figure that out, like kind of like prioritize, like, okay, this one, I think this is the one. Um, But yeah, I have to agree with Monica, like so far, the, the gatekeepers are, are definitely there, but I think my own um, gatekeeping has helped in a way um, that I'm like, okay, so like, what is making my story unique? What makes my story stand out? And I'm so critical of that as I'm writing it, that fortunately it has stood out enough. But what I will say is, for all all three of my books that have come out, the manuscript that I sent on sub is very different from the manuscript that's actually getting published. Um, So part of it might also be maybe the editors your agent is sending them to aren't editorial enough. You know, like for me, especially at the beginning of my journey, I did need editorial agents. And that really helped me with, like on my journey. Um, So something to maybe like think about, maybe like the gatekeepers that your manuscript is being sent to are more, are less editorial and have a hard time providing constructive feedback on your manuscripts. Yeah, I think that the the cases that like concern me are not, are just that they pass it to the Latinx one. They they just pass it. They pass it to somebody else when the research, and I do minimal research compared to you, minimal. But the minimal research I did pointed to that editor, not to the other one. I would have said, send it to the other one, you know, if I thought that was that was the one. But yeah, I guess it's all a, it's a, it is an industry full of rejection and you have to get used to it, you know, and you have to um, bounce back from it and just keep going because otherwise I think it, I never heard a bigger truth than nobody gets published to quits, you know, because obviously, um, and I know people in my critique groups who have been writing for 10 years, 
10 years and they still don't have an agent, they don't give up. They're, but they're not giving up. And and even in the few years that we've been together, I see their stories getting better and better. So I know they'll get published if they just don't quit. But it's sort of like an endurance test, you know, and 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 you have to. And I admire you guys with young children who are in this. When I had young children, I, you know, I wrote one story inspired by my stepdaughter about me called my evil stepmother which I thought was the best story and I still love that story and I have like eight versions of it I sent it to Penguin because I shoot you know straight for the top uh, without doing one second of research on how to write a picture book nothing um, and of course it was rejected and then I was done sending out stories until that same stepdaughter was about 20 and I sent it out when she was three or four. So it took me that long to bounce back, I think, from my first rejection. That's crazy. If you think about it, if I wanted to be a published kid lit author, that was not a good strategy. You know, that was not a good strategy. And and I think and I feel bad because I think a lot of people do something like that. They, they have a good idea. They write a story that's good, but they don't really know what a, a story is supposed to be or, you know, the structure. They haven't done the research like you guys have done, like we've done. They haven't read a million picture books lately. And um, they get that rejection. And that's like, that's hard when you're, when you think, oh, this is a great story. They're going to love it. And you have to just be able to keep going, you know, and learn from it, I guess. And yeah. at every level, it doesn't stop after you're agented. It doesn't stop after you're published. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, watching now that I've been in this a handful of years, I'm watching other writers um, who have been published and, and are having difficulty with rejection and are like, okay, I'm going to take a step away from writing because this manuscript that I really cared about didn't make it past my agent or it died on sub and, um, and yeah, rejection's hard, but I think that I just kind of learned early on, like I'm just hungry enough for it, I guess, that I that I that I just keep moving. I mean, the first novel that I finished, um, I sent to my agent and she got like a third of the way through and was like, Yeah, I no, mm -mm, I don't think this is the right one. And I that could have that could have done me in. But for some reason, I've grown a thick enough skin that I was able to go, okay, all right, put it aside, what's the next one, you know, and, and I still, I still think about that book every now and then and actually one of the pitches I'm developing right now is kind of a, uh, a, a revision, a completely different approach to that novel and it might be you know this time i'm gonna pitch it i'm not gonna write the whole thing and <laughs> spend a year on it to have it rejected um but it's yeah it's just i remember my my mentor andrea loney um when i was green the the very first thing she told me is authors eat rejection for breakfast lunch and dinner and that is absolutely right you just have to be able to stomach it Go okay that doesn't mean i'm done means I'm on to the next story.
That is, I think that might be the most important piece of advice you can give anybody who's start, starting this journey. You know, like you have to be able to take that rejection, learn if you can, if, you know, if you get some kind of feedback. Um, and and often what you said, just put it aside and work on something else for a while instead of like maybe trying to revise that, um, you know, for another year. Because sometimes you just have to put something aside for a while. It's funny. Uh, I keep um, having to change computers because I don't know what I do my, to my computers, but somehow I ruin them. And and so in doing so, I'm like transferring, you know, old writing files. You know, I, I don't know how many you guys have, but I'm sure you have tons of old stories that you wrote. And so I'll look at some of them when I started this sort of journey in 2019 really is when I started 2000 end of 2018 like the stories I was writing and I'm looking at some of them now and I'm like that is crap <laughs> like I thought it was good at the time you know and I'm like oh my god that is awful um there's a there's a good idea there there's there's like a nugget of something but it's not very good, you know, and, and it's good to keep those around, I think, you know, because yeah, maybe there's something there that you can use in a, somewhere else. So I wouldn't delete all your old files, but it is, it's good to see how we grow too. Oh yeah. Well. I love recycling. There'll be like little pieces and little nuggets of a story that I'm like, Oh, I, I love this. But yes, I know this, this manuscript is not going to see the light of day like ever. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good. But then there's like little elements of it. And I do recycle. Like I'll take like a sentence from a manuscript and I'm like, ah, this is where it belonged this whole time, you know? <laughs> and in terms of like not giving up, like for me, I wanted this since I was seven and I just can't let seven-year-old Alyssa down. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta keep going. So there, yeah, the rejection is real and, you know, I'm also not afraid to cry. So, you know, I cry it out and then I, you know, read a lot. So like when I'm like in a rut, I'll just read and I just change different things, you know, like, I'll either work on something new or I'll take a break from writing and I'll just like focus on reading. Uh, but ultimately always knowing that I'm always going to come back to it no matter what. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes that that is something I do as well. I'll just start reading when I'm like, I like I got nothing. I got nothing. Nothing's happening up here. I need to just read for a while and and reread things you know that that I really liked and see like what you know what why did I like this and or things that I remember vaguely from being a kid you know like it I, there's this one story that stuck with me for a million years and I could not remember the name of it and I kept trying and I finally I can't remember now how I even did it I think was it TikTok? I don't know. Somehow I figured out the name of this, this book. It was called A Light in the Forest. I read it in like fourth grade. It's, it's pretty traumatizing. That's what stuck with me. And now I'm like, oh, I have to, I have to read that again. Um, because those, those stories that even if you don't remember really what happened, but there's like one scene or one thing that shocked you or one thing that like, 
you just can't forget. It's I think it's good to go back and read that again and see, because I think we all want our readers to to find something in what we write that sticks with them forever, you know, or at least for a while, at least for a few days. Um, okay, so one other question about inspiration is uh, it's a when question. When do you feel most inspired? Are you like, are, are you the type of writers who do like writing retreats or you spend all day you know, sipping tea and listening to music and, and writing? Or do you have a schedule or you write in the morning or in the evening or at certain times or does the, it could just hit you at any moment? What, what is it for you guys? Well, I, um, I just have forced inspiration, honestly. I, I, I can, I teach in the afternoons after I pick my daughter up from school. So I have to write when she's in school. So whether I, and, and I, like I said before, I'm on deadline with two novels right now. So, um, I can't wait for the inspiration to hit, um, so I get up in the morning, I get my daughter ready for school, I take her to school, I come back, I exercise and get myself ready. And then I'm, I sit down and I write for four to five hours and then I pick her up and teach and, you know, um, and then on the weekends, I often have to work um, on either marketing stuff or more writing stuff. Like right now being on deadline, I just have to use every moment. Um, so I think honestly, I think that that is the difference between um, aspiring writer, not even aspiring author, but aspiring writer, Monica, and author, Monica, is that I used to, you know, 15 years ago, I wrote when the inspiration came. And I was also a musician and aspiring singer songwriter. And it was the same with that. I wrote my songs when the inspiration hit me. And it's no wonder that I, I'm not now touring with, you know, Tori Amos. I mean, you can't, you, you honestly, you can't wait for the inspiration to come. It's like the writing, writing is a muscle and you just like you go to the gym. If you want to get fit, you got to go every day and you have to be consistent about it. Um, and if you don't, if you stop for a while, those muscles get weak and they get achy and it's so much harder to get back into it. So I would write a story, a short story, like once a year or I would try to, I'd have a, an idea for a novel and I'd sit down and I'd write 20 pages. Um, the wheels would get rusty and I would give up. Um, and then I wouldn't try again until I was inspired again two years later. Well, now it's just butts in seat every single day. And there are days where it's a struggle and there are days where I'm sleep deprived and I'm tired from momming and teaching and all the other things. And what I find is that it may take me an hour to finally get off Twitter and stop procrastinating. But once I do, the wheels start rolling and, and the inspiration comes. So sometimes you have to kind of sit down and start writing for that inspiration to come instead of waiting for it to come to you, if that makes any sense. But, but do you write a lot of like stuff you need to get rid of then? Like, do, do you, no, I can write a lot of really bad, bad, bad stuff. I can. I can write forever if it's going to be bad. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I'm wasting my time then. You know what I mean? Like I want to write something that's decent, at least, that I yeah. can revise, not something that's just total garbage. Well, word count 
is not the same every day. You know, I, I may have, I may set out to write. I mean, I'm not a fast writer. I'm not one of those people that can shell out 10,000 words in two hours, never been. Um, but on a good day, I can write 1500 words in four hours. And on a day where the inspiration isn't coming, I might only write 300 words and that's okay. You know, it, it might be a slower, sloggier process. And there are some days where I'm like, it's just not gonna happen today. And I'll give myself some grace and go, okay, I'm gonna do something else. I'm gonna work on a pitch or I'm gonna work on marketing or something else with this writing time. Um, but I think the, that's, part of the, that's part of the practicing and practicing and practicing is that, like to go back to the gym analogy, if you're in really good shape because you work out all the time, let's say you have a bad day, you're hungover, whatever it is, um, you go to the gym and a bad workout, a quote unquote bad workout for you is not going to be the same thing as a bad workout for somebody who doesn't go to the gym every day. You know what I mean? So in other words, I don't find myself winding up having to just toss out what I wrote yesterday because it wasn't a good writing day. It's still, it's, it's still, still, it's still something. Yeah. It, it's yeah. still something to build on. Yeah. I don't go to the gym either. So <laughs> bad all around over here, but I hear what you're saying. And, and I really think that that's important. I think what you're saying is really important because I, I think I, I am still in that, even though I'm better than I used to be, I am still in that thing where I get inspired and I write, I, the, I'm up to, I don't know what it is about chapter four, but that's where I'm done. I can write the first four chapters of a middle grade novel. It's funny. It's, you know, got a great voice, blah, blah, blah. And then I fade out. Like I just fizzle and I don't keep going back to it. Like I'll, I'll just be like, Ugh, I don't know what to do any with this anymore. And then maybe just start trying something else, you know, and, and that obviously is never going to get done. If I do that, I'll just, I often thought I should write something called beginnings and endings because I'm good at like the, the first chapter and the last, but they don't go together, you know, like just a bunch of first chapters and last chapters. Um, nobody wants to read that, but that's all I can really afford at this time. Um, but usually like when my, at the end of the night, when my daughter's asleep, <laughs> but you know, I'll try to force the writing and like Monica, like you said, like if writing isn't happening, then I'll switch gears and I'll work on some marketing and I'll reach out to bookstores and I'll coordinate, um, different things. So like, I'm also currently on tour. So, um, I was like writing and also organizing all of like my book events with booksellers and bookstores and all that stuff. So like there were days where the writing flowed and then there were days that weren't, and I just didn't beat myself up for it. And I was like, it's okay. Cause I still have 101 other things that I can do. Um, but yeah, definitely just carving out the time. And then what you do with that time on that day, you know, give yourself grace. And I do want to acknowledge for anybody who might be listening that I that I recognize that I'm in a privileged position to be able to write for blocks of four hours every day during the week. And I was not always in that position. Um, because I am now making income as an author and, you know, I supplement that with my teaching Monday through Friday, um, I'm able to carve out that time. But, you know, there was there was a time when I couldn't do that and I still had to force myself. It was like, how badly do I want this? And it's hard, but I'd have to force myself at the end of a very long day to sit down and write for an hour or two in the evenings, 
you know, or if Saturdays are the only day you have and you do when, you know, a lot of times you have to be, I tell people, be fiercely protective of your writing time. So it's so easy to have other obligations to have people say, well, you've got the softball game on Saturday and you've got this. Nope. I write from 10 to 12 on Saturday mornings. I'm sorry. I can't period. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's important. And I think that what I'm going to conclude with the idea that inspiration comes from all of our experiences, all of our, our families, ourselves, other people, other writers, but also I think maybe the most important thing we've said here is that you can't wait for inspiration to hit you. You have to sort of make it happen uh, in the time you have, you know? Whether you have one hour or whether you have four hours, you can't just sit around and wait for the uh, the inspiration to come. You you have to inspire yourself and get your butt in the chair and stand up occasionally and keep writing. Okay, so I think that wraps up um, our podcast for today. Thank you, Monica and Alyssa for joining us at Las Musas and see y'all later. If you'd like to learn more about Las Musas or our books, please visit our website at lasmusasbooks.com or find us on social media at Las Musas Books. And be sure to check out our bookshop page where each purchase of one of our books goes towards supporting independent bookstores. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also sign up for the Las Musas newsletter to have podcast updates as well as other Musa news such as release dates, teasers, spotlights, and more delivered straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening.